Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into iron-clad brain performers. Today, we've got an amazing guest on our show, as always. She is a mother of four, uh, the owner and founder of Hope Wellness Clinic, and a functional neurology practitioner and chiropractor. Welcome to the show, Dr. Allison Nelson. How are you doing today? I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, for those out there that don't know, we actually have combined forces and we're in the same clinic now. And uh, I appreciate you bringing me on. And uh, let's kind of just go through what your definition is for functional neurology and what you want to offer patients out there. Yeah, usually the way I describe it to patients, which is maybe a bit of a layperson description, but mm -hmm. uh, I try and describe it as if it's like physio for our brains. And right. so to say, if you have an injury to your shoulder, then you might go to a physio and they're going to rehabilitate that shoulder for you so that it functions as well as your other shoulder or functions as well as it used to. And so what we're trying to do is figure out if there's areas of the person's brain that aren't functioning the way that they should be or they used to be and then seeing if there's exercises or treatments or therapies we can give them that help rehabilitate that part of their brain to work functionally again right now so many people go into the profession that obviously has kind of helped them along the way as well mm -hmm. uh, what took you into functional neurology oh that's a very good question um well i would say the original, original thing they got me into, it was just my best friend in school dragged me along to a seminar. <laughs> She's still my best friend. Uh, so she dragged me along to a seminar and I went to one seminar and I was sold. It like finally school made sense to me because it was kind of, I would say chiropractic was kind of taught from a dogmatic perspective so it was taught from this idea that like it works because it works and it's amazing because it's amazing and you're like okay well it is amazing and it does work but what if there's like better reasons why it works than just that it works <clears throat> and so for me it was like sitting in these seminars and all of a sudden they're describing the connectivity in the brain and the nervous system and how we do this over here and it influences this over here. We do this over here and it influences this over here. And that's why the person gets better when you adjust them. And right. that was like, okay, I need this in my life. <laughs> uh, but then on top of it, I had a close family member who actually during that time developed a chronic pain condition. Oh, okay. And so then their severity of their pain and watching them lose function and their ability to cope with life. And then they actually came down to my school and some of the functional neurology docs that worked in the area worked with her to try and help her get better. And so then it kind of took on a whole new life for me of the practicality of it, the need for it. I would say shortly after that, I came home for Christmas and my brother was playing hockey at the time, and he falls, smashes his teeth off the ice, and wow. does himself. 
<laughs> he had been concussion protocoled through hockey at the mm -hmm. time. He was going to Nate at the time and he passed everything. So they said, oh, you're fine. It's nothing. So I check him out with all this stuff that I've been learning. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, you have a concussion. So then he ends up like not realizing that if he had any symptoms at all, he was supposed to say so. <laughs> so he's like, well, I passed all the tests. I could do all the tests. I felt like crap doing them, but I could do them. I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> but that then it like opened a dialogue of realizing how bad of shape he was in. And he ended up missing the whole rest of the hockey season. Wow. And so, and then he's dealt with concussion symptoms off and on ever since. And so it was kind of this like nosedive deep into why this is totally relevant and practical. This stuff is everywhere and that we need people who know what they're looking for, who can give a deeper look or who can offer treatments that maybe would help these people. So anyways. Absolutely. So concussions definitely are, are something you've seen and, and worked with. What are some of the other kind of conditions, um, whether it was, oh, maybe we can help you or let's give it a try? Yeah, or yeah. things that you're like, yes, I'm, I hammer away on these. These are my, these are my areas. These are my people. And Bread and I butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's a good question. I've been at it for a little while now, but I would say it's like uh, maybe a quarter or a third of my practice right now. Um, I've worked with like some, a lot of like vertigo cases, but most of them were really atypical. So mm -hmm. not your like classic vertigo. Um, like I had, you know, this person who had a low blood sugar incident and then they developed vertigo, but it wasn't like classic vertigo and nothing was helping, but it really was like a brainstem injury. And I've had people who have had a, I had one lady who passed out donating blood and she developed the same problem. Um, I've seen, let's see, attention deficit disorder, some autism. Um, what else have I seen? A lot of like chronic injuries. So maybe like a chronic shoulder pain that's not getting better or uh my neck hurts all the time and we, you know, assess them and realize it's like actually maybe a mild dystonia or, you know, those kinds of right. weird things. Lots of little kids with mild concussions, um, kids who, yeah, atypical development. I would say I've seen quite a bit with um, bowel and bladder incontinence with kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Stuff like that. And what have you, like... Uh... Let's let's dive into it, kind of the evolution. So basically, the developmental stages that kids go through is okay. going to obviously set them up for how they perform in the real world, yeah. and then how people perform is going to determine how they decline later in life as well. Yeah, and then any injuries along the way, all of that is going to affect the brain. So let's start out kind of with. Uh, your area that you concentrate on and and have done such amazing work with and that 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 is the the little ones yeah, uh, yeah. what should parents look for in children and what should kind of the general population be aware of with all these disorders that are now just rampant in in society and um where does it kind of start and uh what are ways that people can be helped out 
Oh, what a great question. Um, I actually was just messaging with somebody on Instagram about the, the idea that our genetics load the gun and the environment decides how many times it gets triggered. (laughs) And so then to say that I would say a person's genetics play a big part into whether or not they're going to be on that path or not. Uh, But that's only a part of the picture. So you have genetics, you have environmental factors of like what that kid goes through physically. So let's just say you throw a kid in a walker when they're eight months old and they just think this thing is the best thing since sliced bread and they're running around the house in this walker and they just totally skip over a bunch of neurological development because the walker is so much cooler than crawling around and rolling on the floor. <laughs> what, what sort of things would they miss out by doing that? Don't, don't you want them up running? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it has to do with that idea of we have to go through certain processes in certain orders and the brain depends on it in tor- like it's pre-programmed that it needs to do certain repeated patterning at different stages. So it has to do, First, it's, you know, they're kicking and they're whatever, turning their head side to side. They're pushing their heads up. They're lifting their head. So, like, a big one I see would be little kids whose neck gets stuck in delivery and they never are capable of extending their head. And so their head stays stuck in flexion because of the way they were born and they never can extend their head. So now they're on their tummy and you set them down for tummy time because, you know, you're supposed to and they never lift their head up. And so then they scream and cry and whatever. So then you just pick them up and you say, okay, fine. We won't make you do that. Let's just have you sit in this bumbo chair instead because you're so much happier. And they never developed that reflex of lifting their head up. And that would be your tonic neck reflex. And so then these things play into their uh, postural systems and their development. And then maybe later in life they have anxiety or they have a really, really stiff back and they're always hunched over. And it's just because their brain didn't. And then that reflex not integrating affects the next reflex and down it goes down the pathway. And Mm -hmm. so that's how they have to do each of these motions so many times for their brain to recognize and realize, oh, we've now developed that area. It's now strong and now it can move on and, and continue developing future areas of the brain but these parts are all super connected with your cognitive areas so then if kids have a whole bunch of these that are still active by the time they're you know in grade school their cognitive areas are being affected too so they're i would say it pretty much is immature in a lot of different areas so then they struggle with reading or they struggle with um peeing their pants or whatever it is so so you're saying that basically these reflexes are the are the things that develop the brain first and then other areas and facets happen during this development afterwards so that if they don't happen then yeah a postural uh, simple thing like a stiff neck that maybe people just kind of glance at is going to affect that baby's development and cognition later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And these would be things not just our field are discovering. So in the field of um, behavioral optometry, 
that primitive reflexes is like the number one thing that they do at the beginning because they know they can't rehabilitate a person's eyes if their uh, primitive reflexes are active. And so that's like the first thing that they go after most of the time, or at least it's part of the beginning of their therapy. And so it's super connected to all of those areas. And a lot of times they're they're working on kids, uh, not because their eyes don't see, it's because they don't function right. And that they're having all these reading issues and behavioral issues and whatever, because that part's immature in their brain. So. Hmm. So you're kind of doing it right now on video and everybody listening in is as well, if you're driving, especially. And that is if you turn your head one direction, your eyes go the opposite way here. So posturally, they're hard linked together. And Mm -hmm. uh, just to hammer away on your point there that, yeah, if you can't move the body correctly, then the eyes don't move. And how can you read if the eyes aren't moving properly as well? And then yeah. it just cascades from there. Uh, what are some of the interventions you're doing to, to help these these kids out and to point this out to parents? Yeah, well, I would say a lot of, especially with the little kids, it's actually really easy. As a chiropractor, I think it's amazing because when these are active, these kids are really defensive. So most of them hate to be touched. They hate to get adjusted. They hate, like, they're really hypersensitive. And even their parents will say, like, they don't, they didn't like to be cuddled as a kid. They don't like it when I touch them. Like, what's wrong with them? And so I can usually sense it right away because they'll be like, they're having back pain. Their low back hurts all the time. Can you help them? And I go to do it. And this eight-year-old kid is crying on the table and freaking out. What are you doing to me? This is so scary. And whatever, you're like, I don't, this isn't really scary. Like I'm really gentle and whatever, but I can just sense how tense they are. But it's actually, it's the reflexive tension that's in their body. And so it's actually pretty easy to show the parents that like, this is, this is what's atypical that they should have no fear of doing these motions. They shouldn't be scared of rotating their lower back. They shouldn't be afraid of me, you know, touching the bottom of their feet or turning their head. And so if they have that defensive posture that I can usually show that. And then I often do like postural exams and maybe finger to nose and have them do some pursuits and saccades. And the parents usually, it's very obvious that they can see that their kids' right. eyes are jumping all over the place. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, so, you know, this sensory system is really connected with their eyes, and if we can get these working. And then, interestingly, how often the kids actually ask to come back. Right. And sometimes, like, I have kids who come in, and their moms are like, they don't tell me anything. They tell you everything. Because <laughs> they start to connect the fact that they're like, oh, you understand my body. You understand what I feel like inside. You can right. help me with that. And they, they totally open up to it. But that usually because of all the functional testing that we're doing of like, can you hold your hand out? Can you put like resist my pressure? Even a three-year-old is capable of being able to like follow that task and that they can see right away. It's like, oh, they got no tone at all. But then let's say we run an optokinetic across their eyes a couple of times and all of a sudden they gain tone and you're like, look, it changed already. (laughs) And so then both for the patient and the kid, they can see that, oh, I think that what she's offering is capable of making a difference for me. And usually 
I would say, like, I even tell them, I'm like, if it, it if it's going to work, usually you would see something within the first couple of weeks. Like, my treatment plans are often quite a bit of home exercises and stuff. So mm-hmm. they go home and I'm like, you have to do this five times a day. Let's, we have to, like, make new pathways. So those new pathways need a ton of repetitions. And so if they're willing to do it, which is usually the hardest part, um, then they start to notice some changes. So, yeah. Right. But I, I think the magic that, that you're giving people here is that you're able to show them. Yeah. And then they realize it right there in real time. Yeah. That uh, change is happening in the nervous system in split seconds. Yeah. And then all I need to do is practice that a little bit more to make it stick. Am I on the on the right track there with that? Absolutely. I love it. It's like, it's real time. Like, uh, and I tell them, I'm like, this isn't going to last. It's like sometimes just to prove it to them, I'll wait like two minutes and then I'll, re- I'll retest them and they're back to how they were before. Right. And so I'm like, this is why you need to do enough repetition because it'll give you that little window for a few minutes, but then it's going to go right back to your old pattern. And so then to say, but the more times you do that, you're going to start developing this new road over here. Uh, But they can see it right away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for us looking at this, and uh, of course, we get so excited when we mention these changes. But I think one thing to, to make it kind of sit with the people listening is what you said earlier, is that there's this built up tension in the body from all of these things. And well, built up tension turns later into built up moods, <laughs> irritability totally. yes. in their children. <laughs> um, so kind of walk us through basically how uh, you can have this, well, quote unquote, like demon child and yeah. release this tension, get the nervous system to fire up in the correct way and how that changes their behavior. Yeah, well, I would say it has to do with the connectivity between those deep areas of their brain. So saying that the usually what ends up being immature in the end is their frontal lobes, and they usually have some weak connections between their temporal lobes and their parietal lobes and stuff, mm-hmm. and that those are the areas that fire down to inhibit their amygdala, and their amygdala would be your like um, instinctive part of your brain. So saying you have this newborn baby, that's literally all they have to work with. Or you have, you know, an animal or whatever, that that's the part of their brain that everything fires out of that part of their brain. I'm scared. I'm hungry. They have no ability to, like, wait. To be like, oh, mom says she's going to feed me in an hour. I can wait. (laughs) Right? But as, you know, the frontal lobes develop, then, you know, you should be able to reason with yourself. And you should be able to be like, well, I feel this way. However, I know this so I can talk myself down. And these kids a lot of times would lose that ability. So saying when something stressful happens or something triggers them off. So like one of the common ones we look at would be like the moral reflex. So that would be the startle reflex. And I see this in adults all the time. I don't even test it anymore because they get so angry when you test it. (laughs) I'm like, it's not worth me like pissing off the patient in my clinic when I can just ask a simple question. And I just ask them like, what happens to you if someone startles you? And that the, you know, most people are like, oh, I don't know, nothing. And then the people right away, they're like, oh, I hate it. Like, it just ruins my day. 
And so if someone has an active moral reflex and you slam a door when they don't see it or a loud noise happens or someone jumps out at them, they will scream, they will extend their arms and legs and they will get a full adrenaline rush and that this could last for like the whole day. Sometimes it'll be, you know, a brief five minute thing and then it comes back down. But usually what they'll say is people love to scare me. because of how I react and so then I know it's there and especially when they have other things going on too but that like I see it all the time in practice because I have a drop piece so our tables have a drop and that there's the odd grown-up who they'll every time the drop piece goes we've I even had one lady one time and she would scream every single time and I no matter how much I tried to like warn her okay I'm gonna drop the drop piece it was like loud enough the whole office could hear (laughs) but what I notice a lot with the kids is I'll be adjusting their mom and every single time the drop piece drops they go (gasps) and then they sit there and then they start to cry (laughs) Uh, and I, I'll, I'll warn them I'll be like it's okay I'm gonna drop the drop piece now don't be scared and they can't help it they do it anyways so say right. even though they know I'm gonna do it and I'm having them watch me do it they still <gasps> and then they cry <laughs> and so then those are kids too that I'll be like you know you know do they have other things going on we could work on that so if that's just one example of something yeah <laughs> you walk us through this so gently that yeah these little kids have kind of this thought process going on with them but yeah. that's mainly to explain it to adults basically yeah. with children you just see an amazing huge tantrum right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Like this is the kid that's throwing things in the supermarket. That oh yeah, yeah. Screaming and wailing away, yeah. and later in life that turns into yeah anxieties into into adults as well, or just yeah. once again that over heightened fight or flight response. And yeah. is that kind of just boiling in them even without these loud noises? Then um, is that kind of that built up tension and what do you see people do with this? Uh, like, I imagine they're just blaming themselves for not being able to, to handle things well or, or to not being able to, <laughs> to respond. Well, and I find a, a lot of times they will, they'll arrange their life in a way mm-hmm. to allow for their problem. Because <clears throat> I find a lot of times people don't, unless you've really pointed it out to them, they don't actually really know that they have it. Uh, They kind of are aware that they're more sensitive than other people, but they, they're like, this is just how I am. Yeah. It's just who I am. So just get over it. And so they think, so I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the term misophonia. So this would be one of the sensory processing issues and it would have to do with that sensitivity to the sound of chewing Ah, okay. And so this is a really common one that causes this extreme anger response in people. (laughs) With misophonia, they get really angry with the sound of people chewing. And so these people will be like, I can't stand going to a restaurant. Or like the common one will be like, well, when I'm sitting at home late at night watching TV and my spouse is sitting beside me eating chips and I just want to strangle them. <laughs> and you're like, ooh, a little harsh, I think. They're just eating chips. <laughs> and that people who have it, they pretty much like repeatedly have the same, like they're so angry they want to rage. 
but that sometimes, so I'll say my husband has this problem. <laughs> so I know firsthand. And that he would say as a kid, he had to eat in a separate room from his siblings. Whoa. Because it would, they would drive him absolutely, and that for him, it was the worst if he was tired. So first thing in the morning or late in the evening, that it was like the coping mechanism just wasn't there anymore. He couldn't process that information. Therefore, the only thing they feel is rage. (laughs) (laughs) And so then it's like, my option is I can rage. So this does happen all the time for a lot of these families is that they'll bring their kid in because they're like... all the time on their siblings or they're always like I had one kid who just the sound of their sibling talking would make them rage and the mom was like what do I do like like he hates her (laughs) he's like I don't think he hates her but he can't stand being around her because he can't stand the sound of her voice and that it makes them but that because they can't have that top-down inhibition they can't be like I like you therefore I'm gonna not rage on you so I'm gonna leave myself like some of them are able to do that as adults to be like I'll just leave the room so I don't ruin this relationship but a lot of them it's like if they're tired that processing shuts down they can't they just freak out wow and so this can happen with any of those sensory triggers once they have them so to say it could be sound it could be too many lights it could and that these things i would say this is what kind of creeps back up when people have concussions so then to say the concussion kind of injures the same part of their brain (laughs) and now they can't process all this information again so now it's these lights and these sounds and these motions and like some people you like you put an optokinetic tape past them and they just melt down and they're laying on the floor crying because it's like so overwhelming to their brain to see these lines moving. <laughs> and you're like, how do you drive in a car? Like, this is so basic. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you mentioned optokinetics a couple of times here and uh, a lot of people maybe don't know what that is. And uh, then when it's explained, probably don't realize why it would be such an impact on their lives. Can you kind of walk us through that one then? Um, Yeah. So the optokinetics would be like if something is moving past you. So let's Mm -hmm. say you're driving in a car and there's posts on the side of the road that they're coming and your eyes see them coming and then you jump ahead to the next one and then the next one's coming and you jump Uh. ahead to the next one. And so anytime there's like a movement, so some people might get an optokinetic Thing from uh, pushing a cart in a grocery store oh. and so they're walking past the shelves and all these items are catching their eye and then moving past and moving past and moving past and if their brain can't process that they become unglued <laughs> right <laughs> now do you down. think that that physical difficulty processing moving objects gets labeled in the realm of mental health then? Oh, that's a good question. I guess I haven't thought about that, but I would say I would say there's definitely a strong possibility that those two could be connected. I don't know. Do you have any insight into that? I know you've done a lot of research into mental health. <clears throat> I, I think you don't know until you actually run the test on them. But right. if people are saying that, yeah, busy public places set me off mm-hmm. my brain automatically goes there's a sensory processing issue going on right yeah and it doesn't matter what caused it let's mm-hmm. try to to see if that's 
actually a physical thing going on in the brain with them. And that kind of uh, uh, marriage between mental health and brain health and that connection is what I, I really think needs to be, be drawn forward is that, yeah, we know kind of the results we get with the current level of care that's out there and the amazing people providing it. Um, but if you provide them with another tool and referral that's going to work on the physical side, I, their results shoot through the roof as well. And uh, more importantly, that person's able to, to function and, and live a better life. And yeah. that's, that's the magic when we say there's no tantrums or yeah. the anxiety goes down. Uh, that built up tension you see in people or that anger yeah. and you see it basically just instantaneously kind of melt yeah. is, is amazing. And uh, people observe this all the time. And uh, you know when you walk into a place and somebody's got built up tension and anger. And I think it's important that we, we let people know that, yeah, your observation skills on all of this, even if you don't know what's the underlying mechanisms behind it or, or the neurology of it is you do actually observe and notice an issue and problem. It's finding the people like yourself who can hopefully make a difference with them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yourself too. Why <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, you've also had a load of experience from the developmental age as well. You're a mother of four, correct? Yes. <laughs> I get what's to see it firsthand every day. <laughs> so what sort of things have you noticed with uh, with your kids then? And Because uh, each one's got to be so special and unique themselves. And then, of course, there's the age dynamics between them. Uh, what have you noticed and how has some of these therapies helped helped you as as a busy mother and entrepreneur? <laughs> That's such a good question. I would say I loved taking the courses on the neurodevelopmental stuff because it actually explained so much about myself mm -hmm. and my husband <laughs> to be like, oh, I have these quirks and he has these quirks and no wonder we fight about this. And then to see our kids and to say like, well, these ones have these strengths and these ones have these weaknesses and that it's kind of a continuum. So like no one develops perfectly. No. <laughs> so everyone usually has some areas that they're stronger and some areas that they're weaker. And then I, I tell people, cause like their kids will get diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or something. And then they come in like, what do I do? And I tell them like, well, as long as they can function in society, they'll be fine. Right. The diagnosis doesn't matter. Like I hate the diagnoses actually. And I wish that none of us had them. And if we just said, well, you know, these are my strengths and these are my weaknesses. And so if you can get to the point of being able to identify the areas. So my son had struggled a lot with focus and attention, like attention deficit <clears throat> behaviors. But mm -hmm. I, I was like, he's a mirror of me. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was able to like remember back to the things I struggled with at his age and then take all this information I had learned and be like, okay, we just have to compartmentalize his life for him. He doesn't know how to do that. 
And so let's give him strategies. Let's give him structure. And that the more we do that, then he succeeds better, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So to me, it's, it's a really helpful way of being able to help my kids thrive in life and not feel like they're broken over here because my teacher got mad at me because I just sit and stare at the wall all day and I don't do my assignments or whatever and that instead it's like well these are just things that you struggle with and these are things that these are uh, tools that you can use to get better at it right (laughs) so yes you've noticed all these things with your your son then and obviously you've worked a bit with him too in the clinic and he still kind of has these little nuances of mm-hmm. things that, that irritate him. So let's look at that. Uh, usually kids that do have these tendencies that, mm-hmm. well, things set them off. Mm-hmm. Other kids eventually find that hilarious to, to poke the bear and to, and to get these <laughs> kids to, to just go berserk. And I, I saw that when I was teaching behavioral students big time. Yeah. <laughs> but how much of an impact do you think could possibly be made to help these kids that get bullied if we decrease some of these impulses and drives that set them off? Oh, I think it's huge. And I think they deep down, they want it. Like they know that these things are normal and they don't want to get picked on. But it's like I said, with the whole slamming door thing, like it's reflexive. They have no control over it. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's huge. And like you say, it it plays into like future anxiety. Like I would say most of the time when I see people who have been on that path for their whole life and they come in and they're an adult, that it's anxiety usually is the title they give it. (laughs) They say, I, I have anxiety. But then as you like drive deeper into it to be like, well, what are the causes of and whatever. And that's so often that like, as we're testing their nervous system, I'm like, oh, your nervous system's just hot. (laughs) Or like you say, internal tension. And so it's like, no wonder you feel anxious about everything. Cause you know, most people it's like, you can just sit down and process what happened or what's going to happen or this situation. Like, okay, I could talk myself through this and know not to freak out. And they just, don't have that ability and so to give them those tools and sometimes it's giving them breathing exercises but a lot of times it's giving them these full primitive reflex exercises or maybe some eye exercises and things that they can do at home but sometimes it's like do this in the moment and it will calm you back down again and you can like go on with your day (laughs) (laughs) so now would you name these drivers and, and things tension and everything else stress or would you say that there's also another level of stress that's going to impact this system? I, th- I think it is a stress. So it's like, so we all deal with stress all the time, but it's like, this is its own stress. And right. so then they could be living in a stress-free environment and still being stressed or feeling stressed because of this constantly barraging them and affecting their ability to interact in these different scenarios so then I think yeah they feel more stress on a regular basis than the average person would right. so then you go back into the whole mental health thing and it's like oh well maybe this could help it's like we're not curing your depression but we're maybe helping you feel better or you know like the reason why you're feeling so low all the time is just that 
you know you're not coping (laughs) (laughs) and everything's stressful and every time I go to work this happens and every time this person talks to me they laugh at me and you know what I mean so yeah I don't know I think it it definitely plays a part in helping people right. live a higher quality of life. Yeah. <laughs> so just immersion by itself is probably not a good idea for, for most people, correct? Right. <laughs> yeah, just do it more and more and you'll get better. Yeah, right? Oh, I know. No. <laughs> like, isn't that just training the system to be overactive even more? Totally. More? It's like we have to do the things that calm it down. And that's once again, like when I'm testing people in the office and I scrape their foot and they want to kick me in the face and they're like, <gasps> and you're like, okay, you know, that's not normal. <laughs> and then we do other stuff. And then I can like rub my hand on their foot like this. And they're like, oh, you're just touching my foot. And like, that is how we want you to interact with life. <laughs> right. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, a touch should not be nails on a on a chalkboard type. Yeah, thing. yeah, and like angry and stressed and yeah, mm. yeah. Wow, this has so many implications. Uh, so, what is your vision now with the with the center you've set up, and uh, where do you want to take things? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, I my heart has always been to like help people in ways they can't find help. And so that was why we named it Hope, was the idea that all these people, they don't even know where to look anymore. They don't know who to ask. Their family doctor doesn't know. And and, and you don't blame them because it's like, well, yeah, what do we do about these situations? We can medicate you or, I don't know, go to counseling. <laughs> and so if we can provide kind of that holistic, here's all these different options. So here at the clinic, we have a homeopath and we have someone who comes in every now and then to do breastfeeding consulting with people. I have a girl who does rehab here and she started doing breathing rehab with people and how to like help moms rehabilitate their core after they've had kids. But this plays huge into like them, their mental health and them feeling strong again after having babies and not hurting themselves if they go back to the gym and not having to pee their pants for the rest of their lives. <laughs> that these are big things and they don't know who to ask. Mm-hmm. And so I guess in my mind, it's like all these things I've come across in my practice up until now and saying, how do we cover all these bases? How do we have solutions for people? And a lot of them overlap. And so to say, I feel like we offer a lot of care for families here who are in the thick of it (laughs) and that we're trying to offer them real solutions. So ways that you can fix the problem and not just medicate the problem or how do we turn your health in the right direction? How do we, you know, maybe support you with some probiotics and here's a diet change and here's, you know, your exercises. And we got all these kind of different facets for them so that they can get healthy. And if we're not the end all be all, we can send them to someone else because it's about getting them better and just being a great resource for people. So that's kind of my heart behind it. And having been a, both a chiropractor and now a mom four times, then I, I get all these struggles because I've walked through them myself too. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Wow. And what's been some of the support? Because obviously this is kind of a brand new approach in, in a lot of people's minds. And uh, there, there's the, 
like we both practiced in the U.S. and uh, there's kind of the saying down there that Canadians want innovation and healthcare, but they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> What's been the response from kind of the the people who are coming in and uh, and as the, the entrepreneur building this caring business? Um, what what have you seen and uh, what makes you hopeful? Well, I would say my my mantra has always been because people would sometimes come in, even when I worked at other places, and they'd be like, "Well, you know, this person they wanted me on this payment plan, and da da da, and it was so expensive, and you just want my money, don't you?" <laughs> and it's, my mantra has always been from the get go. I'm like, I want to fix you. And I'm so busy. I don't need you. <laughs> I don't need you. I want to make you better so you can leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that makes sense. So that's kind of always been my thing. Is it's like I, I'm not trying to scoop as much money off of people. It's saying how do we get you better as quick as possible? And I understand 100% that it costs money because it costs me money too. And health costs money. And sometimes we have to make decisions and sacrifices and stuff. But that our goal here is to get you better. And that we're going to get you better as quickly as we can and give you as many tools as we can. And if you want to work with us, then we're going to help you and we're going to do our best. So to say, I think that often builds a lot of trust with people when they realize this isn't about us. This isn't about building our business. It's not about whatever. It's like our heart is to help and that we just have sought out all these different ways that we can help you and we're ready to help in any way you want. (laughs) And if you don't want it, that's fine too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what a value rate there gets you better in the quickest amount of time possible. I think that that's right there, just invaluable. And uh, patients see it with you. Um, uh, For instance, uh, working with, with one of your patients the other day, she's like, oh, Allison always reminds me to be stretching and to do this. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, but she does it in this smiley, such encouraging way. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> I try to get them on my side. They know that I'm on their side. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I, I I started telling her, yeah, in the back, there's this coffee mug. And it's got like this, this great like rainbow smiley face on it. And it's, yeah, we can do hard things. <laughs> and I'm just like, for anyone who can't see it, Allison is this beautiful walking meme of positivity and uh, encouragement for people who are struggling and, and who do want to get better. And uh, with that being said, where can people find you and uh, and uh, get a hold of you for for this invaluable information and uh, and advice? Yeah, so you can check us out. We have a website. It's www.hopewellnessclinic.ca, um, or we have an email at it's uh, admin at hopewellnessclinic.ca, and you can. I think we have our what's our phone number? I always forget four zero three. Eight six four five seven five seven, and you can contact us. We also have Instagram and Facebook and whatever. Um, and check us out. Yeah, we have lots to offer. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for for being an amazing guest and sharing all the all your wisdom with us. There's so much more that people people can obviously learn, and 
and uh, definitely reach out. And for everyone else, stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.